you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. So we begin another year, 2020, or 2020, uh, as uh, it is referred to. But the Lord brought us through uh, another year, and uh, we anticipate and look forward to what He will do in us and through us this year as we yield ourselves to Him. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to talk this morning, preach this morning about God's amazing grace. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> thought maybe it would be a good way to start off the new year to give us some reminders of who God is. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. You know the verse, uh, very likely, most of you probably have it memorized. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Let's pray. Father, bless the time this morning as we open your word together. And we need you this morning. We need you every day. But we need you this morning to, uh, to help us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to refocus our attention, perhaps, Father, on some things that, that we need to focus on. We pray for those that are hurting today, those in, in uh, many difficult situations uh, many who certainly need your touch and your grace today. I pray that this, your word this morning would be a blessing to their hearts, but to all of us as reminders of the goodness of God to us. This we pray and thank you for in Jesus' name. Amen. A little girl in Sunday school was asked to explain loving kindness. And so she gave this explanation. She said, well, when you ask your mom for a piece of bread with butter on it and she gives it to you, that's kindness. But when she puts jam on it without you asking for it, that's loving kindness. <laughs> that's a pretty good definition, isn't it, coming from a child? I understand God is more than just a kind God, isn't he? More than just a kind, more, he extends more than just kindness to us. He extends what? Loving kindness. He gives us far more than we ask for. That's kindness. He goes beyond that to show us loving kindness. Romans tells us that in chapter 3, verse 10, I believe it is, it says there's none that doeth good, but it says there's none that seeketh after God. And so God's very uh, grace, I want to talk about this morning, the word grace has been defined as the unmerited favor of God, or the undeserved favor of God. You see, none of us are worthy, none of us are deserving of his loving kindness. Again, the verse, there's none that seeketh after God. We have nothing to brag about when it comes to salvation. It was nothing of us, not of our doing, nor could it ever be of our doing. Even the ability to find God, sometimes people say, well, when I found Christ, I'm not picking, I, I know what they mean, but just let's make sure we understand biblically what the truth is when he found us. When we responded to his call, might be a better way to put that, uh, because we're not the ones who, who uh, did the seeking. He took the initiative. He did the seeking for you and for me. But God has always been a God of grace. His grace is clearly seen from the very beginning of creation there in the Garden of Eden, is it not? His grace was seen on behalf of Adam and Eve. When he, rather than, than just destroy them, he made a sacrifice uh, and, and made a way for them to be reconciled to God. His grace was shown in his promise to Abraham as far as a land and a people, uh, as fact, as vast as the stars of the sky and the, the sands of the sea. Did Abraham and the land, did Abraham deserve that? No. 
God called Abraham out of a, a, a land of paganism and, and so forth. Abraham didn't deserve that. It was because of God's grace. His grace is seen in the days of Noah in giving wicked man an opportunity to repent and to be saved. He didn't have to do that. He could have just sent the flood and everybody's gone. But he gave him at least 120 years to respond to the message, repent, because judgment is coming. Same thing with Jonah. We can say the same thing. God didn't have to send Jonah to warn them and to, to give them time to repent, which the Bible says the whole city did repent. He didn't have to do that. So my point is God has always been a God of grace. We look at the Old Testament and say, well, that was the time of the law. and God was severe and harsh. And Yes, there were times God dealt swiftly with sin. Usually it was among his own people because they knew better. But, but he still, in every situation, before judgment came, he gave a, a period, an opportunity to respond to his grace, to heed the warning. In fact, his grace was manifest even before the Garden of Eden and the creation of man because the Bible tells us the Lamb of God was slain when? From the foundation, before the foundation of the world, he already had the plan in place. So don't tell me God is not a forgiving God. That he's not a God full of mercy and grace. There's a fella, and some of you may recognize the name, it doesn't matter, don't bother looking him up, but Bill Maher, he's a loudmouth, uh, he's got his own show and stuff, I, I don't know, I can't remember what he used to do, but, but uh, I guess he was a comedian, that's what it was. But anyway, but here several years ago, uh, and he, he likes to mock God, mock Christianity and, and that sort of thing, and uh, as well as the political realm, but he's, uh, uh, I don't know if you'd call him an atheist or what, but he, several years ago, uh, mocking believers, he called God a psychotic mass murderer because of the story of the flood. If that story's true, God is a, ma a psychotic mass murderer. Uh, listen, God gave opportunity for them to listen, to respond. He's a God of grace. He's always been a God of grace. And so this morning, three things. We won't be long. We do have communion to follow as well. So, but number one, look here from, from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. From these verses, verses 1 through about verse 10, we're going to look at some things. Number one, I want us to see that His grace is sufficient to save. Look in verse 1 of chapter 2. We'll just read down. It says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Who's he talking to? He's talking to us, believers. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. We deserve the wrath of God even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. We'll pause there just for a moment. See, God showed the extent of his grace by his willingness to save sinful man. Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, again, familiar verses, says, Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, uh, for a good man one would dare to die. But and then it says this, but God, he didn't die for good men. Or for righteous men. The verse goes on. God commended his love toward us. Showed his love toward us. Demonstrated his love toward us. In that while we were yet. I'm going to add a little bit. Dirty, rotten, filthy sinners. Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. Some people have that opinion. Well, if I, uh, And that's why some people frankly stay away from church. They seem to have this uh, opinion. Maybe some have, have, have helped form that thought in their mind. But, but uh, sometimes you hear people say. Well, when I get my feet or when I get myself together, and uh, then I'll come to church. Or when, uh, no. uh, God does the putting together. 
God does the healing, the forgiving, all that's necessary then. He died for us, not when we were trying hard or not when we were cleaning up, but when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I see our past here, the first three verses. Just notice again, it says, in time past, verse 2, you have walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You see, we heeded uh, the voice of the world, the flesh, and the devil, he tells us there. We were spiritually dead, separated from God. We are not born with some spark of divinity in us that just needs to be fanned and, and so forth, and then all of a sudden it sparks into this wonderful transformation. It's just the opposite. We've been born, the Bible says we've been born in what? Sin. In sin. As the, as it tells that we were by nature the children of wrath. In other words, uh, we were born, our default position is a sinner in need of salvation. That's our default position. We see our past, but praise the Lord. Look at verse number four. Notice our new position. He says, but God, who is rich. I keep saying this. One of these days I'll remember to do this, but to do a, a, a series or a message on that little three-letter word, B-U-T. <laughs> because it makes uh, all the difference in the world, doesn't it? But he says, but God, this, this is where we were. We were condemned, dead, trespasses and sins. We were spirit, children of disobedience, uh, walking the ways of the world, all that thing. But then verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together, made us alive with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now we have a new position, but God. You know, if not for those words, we would be helplessly, hopelessly lost, uh, headed for an eternal hell with no hope of escape. Our destination was spiritual death. He says, but now, now we're alive, alive forevermore. Our destination was an eternal hell, but now it says we are seated. Now we are seated today. Notice that it's past tense. When we became in Christ, it says he, made, he raised us up together. He made us sit to heavenly places. And right now, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's how sure, uh, and we'll get to this in a moment, but that's how sure our salvation is. Uh, it, we haven't yet realized that or seen that uh, on the other side and so forth, but it's already ours. We're already seated today in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. Verse 7, it says in eight, that in ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches, and here's our key word, of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we all know we would do that do with us. But our salvation, you see, is a manifestation of God's grace, God's undeserved favor, goodness. We also understand that only true Christianity offers a salvation based on that grace rather than on works. Every other religion has man doing something, working to try to obtain the favor of God or of their God. True Christianity is the only one that, that preaches salvation is by grace, grace alone. In Christ, in Christ alone, there is no other Savior, there's no other sacrifice, there's no other substitute. It's Christ and Christ alone. And I've said many times before, just understand, if you reject Christ, if a person rejects Christ, they reject everything Christ came to offer, including forgiveness of sin, including provision for escaping eternal hell, uh, including uh, the eternal life, a personal relationship with God, the joy, the, all those things. They reject Christ. They reject it all. His grace is sufficient to save. 
Secondly, this morning, look at verse 13. Just move down a little bit further. And we'll come back up to those intervening verses. But number two, his grace not only is sufficient to save, but understand this morning his grace is sufficient to sustain. Not only to save us, but to sustain us. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus... Ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, made near, brought near by the blood of Christ. And look what he says, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make up in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby." And came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Just a little bit further. Verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord. He has given us that relationship that sustains us, given us that foundation he talks about in those later verses there. His grace is not only sufficient to save us, but it's sufficient to to, to sustain us, to keep us where we need to be when the storms come. To give us that reminder, that confidence, that encouragement that that he's holding on to us and he will never, never let us go. As Jesus said, he who comes to me, right? I will never cast out. So he's, he's, he's prom- we, you know, we tend to focus, do we not, on the problems rather than on the promises of God. That's, that's nature. That's, that's human nature. Life is hard, isn't it? Uh, sometimes we face things that, that we never thought we'd have to face. Things are difficult. Sometimes things come into our lives and we just, we just wish we could just go somewhere and everything would go away. Life is hard, but God never promised it would be easy. But he's promised to keep us, to sustain us, to, to, to strengthen us for whatever the trial may be. But it's easy to lose our focus, isn't it? But you know, not even major things. We find ourselves often complaining about the most insignificant things, don't we? About this bad day, what somebody said to me or what happened, or, or I mean, just things that, that happen and we, we, uh, we, we begin to grumble and complain. I came across uh, oh, quite a while back some responses from some comment cards turned in at the Bridger Wilderness area in Wyoming. Uh, people, after they'd you know, done the trails, whatever, they had opportunity to leave comments. And here's just a few of the comments. There were several, but here, I just brought a few here. Uh, one, one person commented, there are too many bugs and spiders and spider webs. Another person said, the coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Somebody else said, a deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. I don't know how that's possible, but anyway, stole my jar of pickles. Is there any way I can get reimbursed? Another person said, too many rocks on the mountain trails. One more, a McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. (laughs) I think perhaps they forgot, I think perhaps they forgot uh, what wilderness trip is all about. But the point is, we often complain about the most insignificant things, don't we? But as Christians, we feel so persecuted. 
And the Apostle Paul knew what it was really like to have a bad day. You think you have had a bad day. The Apostle Paul knew what it was really like to have a bad day. Uh, in fact, we know on, on multiple occasions, stone left for dead, just all the things that he went through. He knew what it meant to truly rely on the strength of God. And the God that Paul gave Paul the strength to carry on is the same God who helps us with the struggles we face every single day. He's our strength, our sword, our shield, our, our rock, and all those things that the psalmist does so wonderful picturing those things, our fortress. He doesn't move when the earth is moving around us. Trials remind us of who we're dependent upon for life and breath and all things, as Scripture says. Not only does God give us strength to endure the trials, but We've talked about this before as well, but he gives us the grace and the ability to do, endure those trials with joy. <laughs> what is joy? Does that mean you always have a smile on your face and, and, and uh, just, uh, can I, we'll leave the camera on, but you ever, some people are kind of annoying, don't you think? They're just so, so bubbly, so uh, <laughs> happy all the time, and, and you just, you know, <laughs> is, that jo is that what joy is? Well, that might be part of it. You know, joy is, is not a response to something. Uh, joy is an, a result of an ever-abiding confidence in the character and goodness of God. Let me say that one more time. True joy is not just a response to something. It's a result of an ever-abiding confidence in the character and goodness of God. That is knowing that, that God is still on the throne. God uh, is in control. And yes, this world, the things happen that... that God never intended to happen. But understand, God is still there for us, with us, give strength and power to see us. So when we whine, when we complain, in essence, we're saying God is not good enough or powerful enough to meet our needs. We're saying, God, you just, you, uh, 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 you've fallen short because I'm having a bad day or whatever it might be. So I would just ask you, the next time you begin to complain, ask yourself, is God sufficient? Is God sufficient? Maybe even jot that down. Next time I complain, put on your paper on the fly through your Bible. Is God sufficient? Ask yourself, is God sufficient? If He is, we shouldn't be complaining. <laughs> you know, God has far greater things in store for us than we can comprehend. Not only have we been given victory over death and the grave, but we have the knowledge and the confidence that God is working in us working on us and working in us, purifying us, perfecting us, conforming us to the image of His Son. That's His, His will for every single child of God, to conform us, to make us more like His Son, Romans 8 tells us. And so our goal is not to be comfortable, but to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's not to be famous, but to be faithful. His grace is sufficient to save. His grace is sufficient to sustain. One more very quickly. Now let's back up to the verses uh, 8, 9, and 10 there, and we'll, we'll close. But thirdly, His grace is sufficient to serve. His grace is sufficient for service. Verse number 8. He says again, By grace are you saved through faith, not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then this verse ties it in. Here's a three-letter word. For... Because, or as a result, if you will, we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Why? 
unto good works, to do good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Why has he given us this position in Christ? To walk with him, as he says there. Uh, to do good works in his name. It says this is his calling for every one of us. He's ordained these things should be so in our life. He created us in Christ for this very purpose. You know, Christ came not to build a personal following or a grandiose ministry. He came to work the works of God and to fulfill the will of God. As hard as that was. Going to the cross. Scripture says Christ came not to be ministered unto, but to what? To minister. So understand as believers, we all, every one of us, have the very same purpose. To minister the grace of God to others. He didn't save us just to soak it all in. Again, just to be comfortable, if you will. Just to have our own needs met. He saved us to be poured out. He saved us to impact lives and to minister to others. He didn't put us here merely to work, eat, sleep, and die. Sometimes we seem like we're in that routine. <laughs> but no, he has called us to, be, to make a difference, to be relevant, not just inside these walls, but outside these very walls where we sit, to be relevant out there. In his parable of the king's invitation to supper, you remember the parable, uh, no doubt, Christ didn't say, okay, now, fellas, open the doors and let him come in. Wait for him to come. Is that what he said? No. He said, go, go get him. Go out of the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Not drag them in, kicking and screaming. That's not what that word means, but give them a reason to come. <laughs> give, them a, give them a purpose. Give them a reason to be here. Have you given anyone a reason this week to be here? When we depend on, on programs and promotions, as good as they are, as helpful as they are, when we depend on programs and promotions more than personal involvement and in exhibiting our faith, we fail. We might be able to get some numbers on special things, but if that's all we're in it for, we fail our purpose. God gives us all the grace and strength we need to do what he's called us to do. Again, it's so easy to make excuses. Uh, about why we can't do what we know he's told us, instructed us, called us to do. But again, I would say the very same, ask the very same question, is God sufficient? Uh, regardless of your past or your situation, regardless of the difficulties you may be facing in your life today, just understand God's grace is sufficient. Today, right here, right now, God is offering the grace of salvation. Again, he's, the Bible says he'll forgive all, no exceptions, all who turn to him, believing he died on the cross for their sin and, call, and then calling upon them for forgiveness and salvation. But also this morning, God not only offers grace for salvation, but he also is offering grace to sustain us. Grace for us to serve him and remain faithful in the midst of, even in the midst of adversity. I close with this story. Annie Flint's life on earth could never be measured in any degree by comfort and ease. Quite the contrary, from childhood her body endured the onslaught of, of severe rheumatoid arthritis until she could no longer 
even rise from bed. Over the years, the affliction took a great toll, leaving her with no choice as that disease progresses, but leaving her no choice but to seek comfort, some comfort from sleeping and resting on soft pillows. Her body developed serious bed sores, and finally she suffered, at the end of her life, the ravages of, of cancer. Yet her attitude through all of the pain and confinement may be best expressed through one of her poems that's been set to music. Her faith in God and His purpose reflected through her words portray her deep commitment and her abiding hope and peace. And this is that poem that has been set to music. I'm going to sing for you as we close. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary known unto men, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. When we have exhausted our store of when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's forgiving is only begun. His love has no limit, His grace has no measure, His power has no and close our eyes. We're not going to sing an invitation hymn this morning. I just want to end focusing, thinking on what the Word of God has, has uh, hopefully encouraged us with this morning. God's grace is sufficient. I don't know what you have faced, what you may be facing. Some of you, I, I, we, we're praying with you on some things in your life, but uh, in situations, circumstances, but there's things I'm sure I don't know don't need to know unless obviously you want us to pray specifically but but uh, life is hard and the Bible says uh, again that God never promised to be easy but he promised grace to see us through and also he gave us enough grace to serve him in the midst of it all and so just let the Holy Spirit leave it right there this morning he can do a much better job than I can trying to convict hearts so I don't even try to do that okay uh, that's why we don't belabor invitation time if the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart you know it if he's dealing with you if, if you need something from him uh, you know it, 
and you can talk to him about it this morning. Let's bow our heads again. Now close our eyes, please. And just give you just a moment if there's a burden on your heart. And I don't think I'll even ask for raised hands. I know there's burdens here this morning, but uh, just give you a few moments to relay that burden to the Lord quietly in your heart together. Give you just a few moments to do that. thank you this morning for the wonderful knowledge of who you are and whose we are. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world. We were the children of disobedience, all those things. But God, who is rich in mercy, as we have responded, those in this room, and and, uh, I can't see hearts, but Father, no doubt most, if not all in this room, have reached out and received you as their Savior. And so as we've done that, you've placed us on a different path. You've blessed us with many blessings, not just extending your kindness, but your loving kindness. Each day, we receive more than we deserve from you. Father, if there happens to be one here this morning that doesn't have total assurance in their heart of of where they stand with you, I pray before they leave these doors that they would talk to me and and we can have someone... uh, just answer questions or help them understand this more fully. But as believers, may we just, as we yield our our, our burdens to you uh, and seek your encouragement, your strength, we know that that we can go out these doors much lighter than we came in, knowing that you walk with us, knowing that you're there to, to, to share, to carry our burdens along. Father, maybe this morning there's some who have been using excuses why they can't or shouldn't do certain things that you've pricked their heart about. Uh, Father, may we lay aside those excuses, knowing that you're sufficient. If, if we, and sometimes, again, it's just a matter of, of, of we've been burned or we've, we've, just, we've had bad experiences and, and we'd, uh, our, our faith has been uh, tested and tried in other areas. And, and uh, we say, Lord, not again. But you say yes. Step out in faith. I'll give you the grace you need to obey me. Give you the grace you need to do all that I've placed in your heart. All that I've commanded, instructed, called you to do. If you'll just allow me uh, to sustain you. And so, Father, we thank you for your saving grace. We thank you for your sustaining grace. We thank you for your, the, the grace to serve you in the midst of a, of a very difficult time, difficult world, difficult circumstances at times. But we thank you for that amazing grace. Bless as we close this service together. We enter into our communion time here and continue to reflect on that wonderful, uh, un, un, unending, innumerable grace of God. This we pray to thank you for in Jesus' name.